on the latest episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry. I'm delighted to be joined by international best-selling author Heman Sunim, telling us what to do when things don't go your way. When we are, you know, very young and have a first love and the first love did not work out, we feel as though this is the end of the world. However, we learn that is not the case. We move on. We find some other people. We begin to see that uh, when things don't go your way, uh, maybe it's not the end. As ever, we're available on all podcast platforms. On this week's Big Tech Show, when will cars safely drive themselves on our streets? And who in Ireland is providing the technology to help them do that? We talked to one of the country's biggest automotive autonomy entrepreneurs. I have BMW Drive Assist in my own vehicle, and it is much, much safer because we are all prone to distraction, especially when we're on the motorway from Limerick to Dublin, for example. We've all been there where you actually forgot a whole section of the road. So I would say if you take it from a safety perspective, and it does allow you to kind of relax. The Big Tech Show, available on all podcast platforms. They were O'Driscoll, Morgan, extra man, it's Fitzgerald, oh Fitzgerald is coming back inside! Leicester have another! Darcy O'Driscoll oh. through the legs, Rob Carney, out to Fitzgerald again, step and score! Hello and welcome to the Left Wing Independent.ie's rugby podcast. I'm Will Slattery. Delighted to be joined, as always, via Zoom by Luke Richel. Luke, hello. Well, how are things? I'm good. Thanks. I'm also delighted to be joined on the line via Zoom also by Keen Tracy. Keen, welcome. Hey, Will. Hey, Luke. How are things? We're good. good. Yeah, just as for full disclosure for the listeners who won't be able to see, Keen's beard has just really gotten out of control now. <laughs> Whatever it was like the first <laughs> yeah, week, you know, it was kind <laughs> of a cool hipster beard. Contact with anyone in a very long yeah. period of time, and doesn't, yeah. doesn't depend on being in contact with anyone for the foreseeable future. <laughs> yeah, oh, we're, in lo- we're in lockdown, lads. Come on, what, what, what do you want to do? Yeah, you're like Chuck Nolan on that island. You're just missing your volleyball, and <laughs> yeah. it, it really becomes your life. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, Keen, we were, we were chatting off air today. Obviously, the first couple of weeks of the podcast coming back, there was a big game every weekend to either look forward to or to have reviewed from the previous weekend. It's a bit of an, an off week in that regard. Obviously, the Pro 14s returning with, you know, Leinster Dragons as, as the glamour fixture of the weekend. But that is a couple of other good games, Munster Scarlet's, Connacht Glasgow as well. Uh, but we might start off with, I know you written a, a piece last week during the week that I thought was interesting uh, on the back of Racing 92's win over Saracens. And it was about the role Dunnick Ryan played in that victory and how impressive he's been for them. And just kind of talking about how vital he could have been over the last couple of years, potentially in an Ireland jersey or a Munster jersey even. Um, you know, so let me talk to us a bit about that. Like, is that something that you you think really w- does stand out? Yeah, look, I mean, it's not something I thought just off the back of the game last weekend. And I think people, some people probably picked up, well, some people probably didn't pay to read the article and just saw the headline and decided to make up their own mind because... When he did leave Munster, ultimately, it was his own decision. But my point of the piece was, I believe that Munster should have done more to try and, you know, keep him keep him at the club. Because, not to go over old ground, but there was the whole thing about the central contract and things like that. But, like, Dunnick Ryan was a key man for Munster at that time. Um, you look at the problems they've had in the second row since. Like, they've never been able to replace him. Like, I was listening out the guys, you look at who they tried to, who they signed, and it hasn't really worked. Obviously, Orgy Snyman is the latest one to come in. And I don't know, when you see what well, he's 36 now, and you see the performance that he's delivering consistently for a racing side who can go out and buy whoever they want. But yes, like he's so well-respected. Like from just from talking to 
like Mike Prendergast and stuff like he's fitted in so well there and I just thought it was another reminder of basically what more so what Munster have been missing but even if you think back to the World Cup last year and you know I, I, Joe Schmidt really like when it came to it, Joe Schmidt nailed his cutters to Devon Toner like that that was his man who was going to be and when it came to it then Devon Toner didn't even make the World Cup squad and he went to it Jean Klein and you just think that if Dunica Ryan had been in the country and had been fit, it's hard not to see that he would have played a role in Japan. Okay, fair enough. Like he's 36 now. I could understand the IRFU's thinking in not wanting to award him like a hefty central contract. But I just think more could have been done back then to, to try and keep him because you see how much of a valuable asset he is still at 36. He still clearly had um, a lot to give. And look, Munster's uh, loss has definitely been Rassing's gain and he's like on the verge of winning a second Heineken Cup. I know he didn't come off the bench in the 2008 final for Munster, but he's played a massive role in getting Racing to here now. Yeah, it was interesting in that piece as well. You kind of, you listed the amount of second rows Munster have kind of gone to in order to fill that void. Luke, it has been quite a number. And, you know, at the time, it actually did get quite a lot of, you know, back, you know, coverage or backlash from, from Munster supporters or Irish fans who wanted them to say it. Um, and I guess over the subsequent years, he obviously was involved in the, in the Champions Cup final where Leinster beat them a couple of years ago as well in his first season there. As Keane said, he's really slotted in and, and delivered some big performances for them. Like even going up against, you know, Maro Toje who the week before was very influential against Leinster. It shows he's still really, as Keane says, a 36, Luke, has so much to offer. Like, sh- should more have been done, do you think, in retrospect? I'm not sure that more could have been done, if I'm being honest. Um, you know, everything kind of made sense at that point to, to let him go. And I think what's probably lost on in, in translation here is actually the player himself has, uh, like, no, just, I remember just kind of hearing tidbits from him, you know, here and there through through training camps and obviously playing alongside him here and there. Um, he was kind of, he was never really that stuck, I don't think, to... Um, you know, I, I feel like he's one of those guys who wanted to go out and and experience a new setup and a new team. Uh, I know he did love Munster, but like I, I, I my sense on Dunica was that he was never really that stuck to one place, and I think he was keen actually. Aside from the money, the money side of things, I think he was actually keen to go and experience a new a new country, and I think that probably did play a part in it. And I'd say he would have been very hard to keep off the back of it. To tie in with Keane's point, yes, they do miss him. I think any team would miss him, and I think um, what I would say is Munster have probably been a little bit unlucky in that respect. I mean, and I think Klein, yeah, like I think Klein is, has been excellent for them at, at points. I'm not really too sure that Dunica Ryan leaving is the real issue for Munster. I don't see issues with their lineout, and I think where they're really lacking is probably a carrier or two. I think that's where they really lack. Um, you know, where where I think Leinster have an edge on them is that they have probably four or five guys in their pack who are excellent carriers as well. And there's kind of a few of those guys who can double up and do the dog work for you. I feel like Munster probably have two, three guys maybe who are, you know, very explosive ball carriers. And I'd probably say the same thing about Ulster. I think they're just missing one or two guys um, who can kind of give them impetus and who are a little bit better in open field and attack. I feel like that's the last little bit for them. And I think they might have got that in Snyman. We just don't know yet. So I'd probably hold fire on that one in terms of, you know, where they are at the moment. I think they've been very unlucky. Do, do I think Dunica Ryan is a loss to the setup? I do. I think as a leader, yes. I think as a standard setter, yes. Um, I do think that they've been a little bit unlucky, though. And I think Ty Byrne has actually fitted in very well there. But I just feel like, you know, Simon could be, should be 
a very you know should put them in a very good position to to um to I think be a better team and would fill that kind of hole for them that I think they require. Um, but at the moment, yes, with Racing going well, you're kind of saying to yourself, yeah, what what could have been? But to be honest, and to be fairly blunt about it, I would say Donica did want to leave as well. So he, he uh, did. It would have been hard like, to keep him. To to be fair, like uh, like he did from from what I know, he he came close to joining Leinster at one point. Uh, his, his girlfriend was living up yeah. there. That's kind of what I'm referring to as well. Yeah. I, I, you, you might not want to say it. Yeah, yeah. You might want, not want to say it, but yeah, like that. That I didn't want to discredit him, Keen. I know. Sorry. Well, like, but that did very nearly happen because, yeah, like Lou said, his girlfriend was working in Dublin and he wanted to get up there in the IRFU, and obviously Munster weren't too keen on it. But I, I just still feel like. I know there was a there was a bit of kind of sour tension, like I I know from what I believe privately, in terms of how the negotiations played out. I think there was a belief that he might be getting that central contract, and then it was kind of played out a little bit. And by the time then Munster had put their offer on the table, he had kind of already had his head turned by Racing, and at that stage, yeah. Luke, like Luke's right, there probably was nothing they could do. But I, I just think like if you could go back and while he okay he might want to try something else. I think if the contract had been better, if the central contract was there, he might not have been as as keen to leave. But look, like he's he's done great and it's a class move for him. Like living in Paris and you know absolutely fair play to him. But I yeah I just yeah, like Luke says it's it's hard not to see how you wouldn't miss a character like that in your side. And like like you said, Will. In fairness, you look at like Leinster struggling against Marotoji and he did a seriously good job up against him for a guy who's at the top of his game. Yeah, God, Dunnick Ryan playing for Leinster definitely would have been interesting. Yeah, <laughs> uh, anyway. Uh, but look, what about the game of the weekend in, in itself? Frosting Saracens, it, it was a very poor spectacle. A lot of errors. A moment of magic at the end, which was almost worth sitting through the previous 74 minutes. But, uh, yeah, it was class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but overall, I guess, how did you feel you know, wrestling matched up with Saracens, you know, taking into account what they had done to Leinster the previous weekend. Well, they're the perfect foil for them, aren't they? They've just got a lot of big guys to have some serious carriers who can, you know, back a tower, I thought, well, you know, he's just difficult to contain, isn't he? He's the kind of guy who, yeah, you probably need against Saracens. Um, I feel like the, the kind of negative play from Saracens, you know, has probably come unstuck against a team that were able to really match up with them physically and were, were well able for the arm wrestle. Leinster, I think, you know, from the week before, I, I think I do still on reflection like Leinster did play very poorly in the first half and the game was kind of gone beyond them which really makes it like Saracens are the worst team to kind of to chase um you know and you have to be within a, you have to be within touching distance of them the whole way um to try and force them to play some rugby at some points I think uh which doesn't suit them but if you're playing into them they're a nightmare they're a nightmare to to kind of play against you know I thought it took a moment of magic to really break the game open for Racing probably you know again what was key they were within touching distance of them you know it wasn't really like you know so, so they never really got a chance to be comfortable and sit in and play really negative stuff um the game transpired that way but um that was the key thing i think the ability to have the arm wrestle with with saracens they just have so much weight uh in the pack like i mean i've never seen Len- i haven't seen leinster's pack get or Leinster scrum be, be in that much trouble and against you know Pax you'd say had some very tidy scrum like you know the Toulon scrums in the uh, over the last couple of years when there was a few matches against them um, you know against a Toulouse scrum I didn't see Leinster struggle that badly either um, I know from talking to a few of the guys that, that they were very disappointed with the outing that they had and that there were probably a few guys who were a bit worried about Billy Vunapola's carrying um, and, and, and left the props alone a little bit at times 
And, and we're probably seeing as well what I think in the long term will be a very good learning experience for Andrew Porter, but probably a little bit of an experience in that role there. And, you know, it looks like someone like Ty Furlong could have had a massive impact in that area for them. So looking back and comparing, that's probably what I think. Um, and it probably came down to, you know, the, 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 the racing pack being well able to deal with the physicality of the, um, uh, of the Saracens pack. And that was probably the differentiator on the day. And I was kind of happy by the spectacle to see Racing go through, not just because there was a few of, of our guys playing in the game and obviously Prendergast on, on the, on the sideline. Um, but I think you can't really play that kind of rugby and expect to expect everyone to like it and to be, feel happy that you've gone through <laughs> to be very blunt <laughs> and also to have been absolutely cheating the system. So, um, to me, to my mind, it was kind of, I was, I was happy to see them go out. Yeah, what jumped out? Excuse me, what jumped out to you, Keen? I know you were tweeting away during the game. Um, what anything stick out to you besides the spectacle not being probably as good as we'd hoped? I was just delighted that we got that moment at the end. Like I, I felt rewarded for having stuck <laughs> through it. Like it was for your patience. Oh God, it was so. It was a terrible, terrible watch. Um, what stuck out for me? I suppose like. We do, I don't get to see probably as much top 14 rugby as I'd like to. So, you know, you're kind of only dipping out of highlights and stuff. I thought Zebo was pretty good. I mean, he made one or two errors, but he looked really good. I think he's looking much fitter than he has done. Um, you look at the Claremont game last week as well. I thought he looked really sharp and like, like not to go over old ground, but like fullback is a, a problem position for Ireland at the moment. And, like for me, he's probably the most naturally gifted uh, full Irish fullback around at the moment, and it's just such a pity that he, you know, like not to open that debate. Like I said, but it's such a pity that he, like Ireland, can't use him or won't use him rather. Um, yeah, so that, like that, that probably stood out to me because I don't get to see Zebo playing that often as as often as you'd like. So that was pretty good. Um, I agree. I think like the try was sensational and like I was in peace I was writing about a few weeks ago like and I think I mentioned it was on the podcast like Leinster have been focusing a huge amount on their kicking game on kind of a lot of it has come in the back of the conversations that they've had with the Crusaders and we didn't really see them you know doing a lot of that in that Saris game probably because they were so beaten up up front but Luke is right it's just that racing pack were, were well able to go toe-to-toe with them and just to see that little bit of invention I think Saris weren't helped by Brad Barrett going off in that kind of defensive line, but it was interesting. To, like, yeah, so quietly goes about his business. He, I just think he's a superb player. As hard he? as nails as well. Yeah. Like I mean, and, so, and such a leader for them. And he was a he was a big loss. But you just hear like Finn Russell um, was talking about it after the game. How you know they had identified it at halftime. I think he said it was Mike Prendergast as well had identified that there was going to be that little bit of space, and they'd eyed it up a couple of times in the first half, but didn't quite think it was on and. Just to pull, to, to have the balls to, to, you know, pull that out at like 74 minutes of a European semi-final, and then also to execute it to perfection. I know Fakatawa got a little bit lucky with the ball bounced off his head, but Russell's kick was just like, it was inch perfect. And, and like, that, like, like Luke said, it's the, it's the antidote you need to like seeing that rugby that, that Saris want to play. Now, to be fair, they did score a crack and try against Leinster, but it was just a fitting way to win a European semi-final, and they, like for me, they were they were deserving winners. And they have currently Bale to come back in for a potential final. Maybe sat him in at twelve beside Vakatawa, and you have Finn Russell the other side of him, and a back three of Zebo, Juan Imoff, and Teddy Tomas. Like, God, has there been a backline like that in, in the Champions Cup? Probably hasn't been too many. Uh, they'll be playing Exeter Chiefs in the final. Who you know, after some. You know, I suppose they were they were under the cost of the first half against Toulouse, Luke, and then, and then won comfortably in the end. It was a pretty entertaining open game. I know I saw Rory O'Connor uh, 
friend of the show talking about how he really felt that Exeter got away with, with a lot of the breakdown, uh, especially in and around the try line. Uh, but it's set up to be a great final anyway. Yeah, well, look, I think they're probably the, the they're a team that you just want to, you're kind of rooting for all the time. Um, I know they were a little bit illegal at times, but they were the perfect antidote to to, to lose. And we talked about that um, last week, Will, you know, um, and I feel like, you know, it's probably just reward for a team that do it right. I know they've brought in a few characters like Stuart Hogg and that, but for the most part, like you think of Steenson and that, like those guys have been there for a long time and have seen the club come up from the championship. So I was delighted to see them uh, get into a final. Um, I'll be rooting for wrestling because, we well, there's Irish guys playing. Um, but other than that, you know, if I if, if those guys weren't on on the um, if those guys weren't on weren't playing for wrestling, I'd definitely be rooting for uh, the 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 extra guys because I just feel the club do everything right. I played against them a couple of times in the group phases, um, you know, and, I, and it's actually a bit of a shame that people didn't get to play in Sandy Park with the crowd there. It's a really good atmosphere, and they uh, they they do it well, and the crowd are very they're, they're just a nice they're a nice crew to be around as well, and they're you know they they do it the right way. So I feel like I'm repeating myself, but. I thought they were better than Toulouse before the game. I know it was tight at times. Uh, I'm not surprised to see them go through. I'm delighted. And if it wasn't for the Irish guys, I'd be rooting for them in the final, Will. And can they do it? Yes, they can. You know, I feel like they're they're a team that, you know, they've got a lot of fight. They're a tight-knit unit. They have, you know, a pretty good defence, but they've got a few guys who can unlock you going forward. And, you know, fitness levels could play a part. And if they do, if the game, if the ball doesn't play for long, long periods of time, uh, like it could be, um, I feel like Exeter might have the edge actually on on Racing. So uh, we wait and see on that one. They have to try and contain, as you know, you guys were saying, uh, a few very very powerful guys and the backline that if Curtly Beal comes back, you know, him alongside probably Matt Giddo, one of my favorite players to watch. You know, there'll be a handful to contain, but Exeter have the tools to do that, and I believe they've got the quality to uh, to to trouble Racing. So. Hopefully it's a good spectacle and hopefully it's a good game. And I, I, my my gut sense is that things will be pretty pretty tight actually. So um, yeah, looking forward to it. I'm actually really looking forward to this one. Yeah, Keenan. I guess the role of Gareth Seaton, as you mentioned, and then Ian Witten in the back line is very fascinating. Considering like they, they both started off in Ireland, Ian Witten probably played for Ulster a, a, a bit more than Gareth Seaton did. But you know they've started some of their biggest days. They both started when they won the Premiership a couple of years ago. They're both still in the twenty-three. I know Witten started the other day. Like what they've their role in it can't be kind of understated either because they've been really important cogs in what's been you know a really fascinating journey that Exeter have been on. Yeah, and it sometimes probably does get forgotten about us, like by guys and us in the media. And Rory Cushion is on the coaching staff there as well, so like it's a pretty similar kind of story to Racing. It's going to be three Irish guys um, involved in both setups, but yeah, you're right. It's 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 just a good story, isn't it? And like when Gareth Steenson moved over, I think his intention was always to move back, you know, and get a shot again with Ulster and hopefully play for Ireland. And he set up shop. Sorry, lads, I forgot about the Ulster lads. I feel bad now. <laughs> <laughs> My apologies. <laughs> I'm, I'm sticking up for the Ulster lads here. Oh, yeah. God, I'm sitting there going, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. But, I didn't want to touch that political yeah, minefield you, when you were... <laughs> you gently let me down. Sorry, you cut yeah. me up. a prime. Right, sorry, anyway, Keen, to interrupt. I just had to laugh to myself there. Go on. No, but they... they for now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you mentioned Gareth Steeds and you're like, obviously the Irish guy is playing for Racing. It's like, they're Irish as well. 
But, uh, but, it, but it is, I mean, they, they have been there through thick and thin and like the, the club have built from, from the championship. They've won the championship and like Steenson is finishing up um, at the end of the season and he's moving straight into the coaching staff to become, I think it's a kicking coach. So like it just shows like how there are other avenues out there for guys, you know, and it's a, it's a great story. I think they will be very good match. Like they're, they're just so clinical, aren't they, Exeter, when they get into the opposition 22, but I think they're they're so evenly matched. It could come down to like a bit of magic like that again, you know. And but like you look at someone like Henry Slade and even Simmons is playing oh, super, Henry super Slade's rugby. Yeah, and class. like so, there's a lot of. I think they can match each other in terms of going toe to toe in the pack, but they both have magic in the backline as well. Probably different kinds of magic, maybe less flair in the extra back, but it should be a cracking game. And I'm probably yeah, I'm delighted that it's not uh, an all French. Um, Champions Cup final. I think it's it's always a bit interesting to see you know the countries from from different uh, diff, teams from different countries and like Exeter were able to do what Ulster weren't able to do and that was live with the power of the Toulouse pack and be able to move them around like they're big lads you know if you move them around you you, you can have the beating of them and that's exactly what they did so yeah it should be a cracking final and like it's worth probably mentioning like the finals on in Bristol I think as well which is you know obviously isn't too far away from. Exeter compared to Racing as well, so that might be a little bit of a an advantage for them too. So it'd be some story if they went on to to win it, especially in light of the whole Saracens Gate this year. Yeah, there's two things that impress me about Exeter. Like one thing is, I guess you know, for the most part, they don't have a, a side you know chock full of like England internationals, unlike maybe Saracens or rivals. Like they've gotten a lot out of players like say Tom O'Flaherty, who was playing on the wing for them, like who's been really good for them, and over the years like Phil Dolman. Ollie Woodburn, guys whose names probably a lot of Irish rugby supporters wouldn't be that familiar with, but whenever you turn it on an Exeter game, they're burning down the wing or they're coming up with great tries. They, they, and Rob Baxter, the guy, I think he's the longest-serving uh, head coach across the three main leagues, which is a testament to his longevity and that he's been there. He got them promoted from the championship and kind of gradually they built up. They qualified for Europe. They played Leinster that time you know, under Joe Schmidt and they eventually won a league and now in a European Cup final. It's just mildly impressive. Uh, we might switch to the Pro 14 guys. That's obviously coming back this weekend. And but before we might talk about the season in general, the South African teams, Luke, obviously there's been an announcement that it looks like the Stormers, the Sharks, the Bulls and the Lions will be joining in some capacity uh, after Christmas. I guess, you know, there's a few ways to look at it. Obviously, the quality of those of those teams is one thing. You know, it will bring extra quality. The logistics, I guess, would still be a bit of a concern in terms of how it'll work. Are they coming in midway through a season or how that'll work? But overall, what's, what's your read on it? I'm really excited about it. I mean, like, I'm a bit good at that. The, the Super Rugby, you know, I think, well, Super Rugby really loses out. It's always, I always enjoy watching that. And the South African teams have been, you know, pr- pretty competitive the last couple of years, been in lots of finals. Um, you know, and I think, well, they haven't, I don't think they've got any, I don't know if they've won, but, uh, you know, I think they'd be disappointed to see them go. I mean, for them, you know, can they, can the teams in the Celtic League, um, as I'm calling them, but the, can the teams from the Pro 14, I suppose, um, like, will they, will they gather attention in there? Will people really respect, you know, your, your Leinster Munsters, your, you know, your Zebras, these kind of teams? Like, will that bring back crowds to South African rugby? I'm not sure. What I know it does for them is that financially, I think it, it puts them in a better space. I know from, you know, a logistical perspective from the South African guys, the time difference is an absolute killer. It's, aside from the money part, it's a huge reason why lots of players actually decide to come to the Northern Hemisphere is that they don't have to do the travel. And I, I know from their perspective, they'd probably be happy to be doing it. Whether they can do it on a 
on a wet, you know a wet <laughs> Monday night in in, uh, in Rodney Parade. We we'll wait and see if they enjoy that. But uh, look, to my mind, I think it's great. Uh, I'm excited for the for, for our competition. I think they really add something to it. Do I feel like there's a few concerns around the logistical part and the the financial part? Do those two two things marry off together? Is it really viable for lots of these teams in you know the 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 current Pro 14 format that are that are going to be I suppose amalgamating um, or, or like I just have to say, I'd say a lot of the finances in those places are in bad shape. Um, you know, how is going to have a, how is having a three week tour in South Africa? Is that going to be helpful to them? Is that going to be something that really you know does it enhance the model? I think it does for the for the spectators, but by how much I don't know. And how do you fill up the shortfall? Um, you know, because I'm sure it's going to be costly enough keeping teams down in South Africa for three weeks touring. Uh, and vice versa for the South African teams. I mean, how are they going to be able to cope with you know doing five or six week tours up here? Um, I think the time difference thing is is very helpful for them, but that's going to prove challenging from a financial perspective as well. So that's the probably part that concerns me. Uh, have they really thought all that through? I'm sure someone is doing the thinking on that. But is the is the model viable? Is it the right time to be taking a risk like this? Uh, there are questions that remain to be seen and I don't have answers for them, but I think it's certainly worth thinking about, um, from a, from a rugby, you know, from a supporter's perspective, like me at this stage, I'm really excited to see them up here and I want to see how, how our guys fare up with, uh, and match up against these teams. I think Leinster, Munster, you know, Ulster, I think will match up quite well, uh, is what I think at the moment. Um, but we, but that'll remain to be seen. And South Africa is a very tough place to go and play. So you know, there there should be one of those teams probably playing in the, you know, uh, you know, playing for kind of uh, the the spots at the end of the year in the in the you know the playoff rounds. Um, so I'm hoping that they do perform well and that there is a few of those teams in there that makes it kind of all worthwhile. Um, but yeah, like I'm excited about it overall. Will to be honest. <laughs> yeah, Keenan, so a few things would be, would be interesting to see. Obviously, on paper, the four strongest South African teams coming up, it, it looks good. But just looking at the South African World Cup winning squad, I know there's a bit of flux in terms of, you know, the Japan League, maybe, you know, on hold and Super Rugby up in the air. But I think only 13 of the 31 guys picking that squad are currently contracted to the four teams who will be coming up. So if people are expecting the World Cup winning teams to be rolled out, players to be rolled out on mass week after week, you know, at the moment, that probably wouldn't be the case if it was to be happening in the near future you know and there's also like there's a few other things that you know that uh, some Luke some that Luke touched on there another one is the Champions Cup element like are those teams eligible to participate I know at the moment that the South African teams weren't eligible if they're not eligible then it really puts the league into question because you could have teams coming in lower positions and getting into Europe and there's a few things like that that I have concerns about obviously there's something you know it's a boosted league to get good teams in but there's other things that have me concerned what do you think? Yeah, like there's so much to it. Like it's it's so complex, and the thing is, we don't have all the information. I think if if everything was black and white, and you're saying okay, there's four really strong teams, you'll have a few like World Cup winners joining a league that has been struggling. Let's face it, you know, it's great, but it's not that straightforward, is it? I presume like the South African Union are obviously hoping that by joining the Northern Hemisphere that they will be able to keep more of their players, that there'll be more revenue there, you know, so that would be their thinking, I'm imagining, longer term. Um, the travel, yeah, the travel is just, it's still just mad that, you know, teams are going to be going to South Africa to play in a league. Like, it's just, it's just crazy when you think about, like, I know you can jump on one flight, but I'm just, I'm not sure how how this is going to work in, in the long term. You even look at, like, the, the, the fixtures being announced 
the fixtures were announced for the Pro 14, which there's only 12 teams in it, and there could be uh, 16 teams in it post Christmas. Um, like, it's very hard for coaches, I'd imagine, to plan for this season. And you know what? Like, I thought it was interesting. Um, I was on a press conference call with Dan McFarland um, just after the Toulouse game, straight after it. And he was kind of saying that, you know, it'll be a good time to kind of try a few of the younger guys. And he used the phrase wishy-washy nature of the competition that's coming. You know, and it really is. Like, I mean, you're talking about playing a league up until Christmas, which could be eight or nine games. And then post-Christmas, the whole league could have a, a different complexion. Like, you know, like, where do you go with that? I know you're going to have to go through some, like, short-term pain to get long-term game, but, and I'm sure the organisers are doing the best they can, but it's just not, it's just not great, like, is it? Especially in the current climate, when you think about all the financial issues, like uh, Will says, like, it, or, sorry, like Luke said, it's, it is a risk to, to go down this route, but, I want to have want to be kind of more positive and be like glass half full, but I just think there are a lot of there are a lot of balls in the air and a lot of issues here that really need to be kind of resolved before we can say that this will this will be a massive success. But I'm hopeful. Yeah, the, I suppose the real issue is that you can't have a season for the South African teams where they just have no rugby at all, um, and they can't play in two competitions at the same time. So at some point, you're, if you want them to be part of the competition, they've got to integrate at this point in the season. Um, Especially with the Lions tour coming yeah, up. Yeah, so well. like I know I completely get the point, Kim, but and, and it does it, it it means that this season, as Dan McFarland, as to coin his expression, it is a bit wishy washy. But I think at some point you're going to have to just do this and take the pain. I feel like this is probably a good time to do it because there's so much transition going on, um, and I just think they need to try it sooner rather than later. I've been talking about this for a long period of time, and like I think. I think now now's as good a time as any to try something like this. You need to be creative. You need to take a risk at this point, um, uh, would be my view. And um, I, I do think the Champions Cup stuff, like, I mean, like, that, like we should have more rugby players from South Africa playing in South Africa. So the model there isn't working because, you know, they have no one going to any of the games. They have all these fantastic stadiums. They have all these brilliant players. They're World Cup winners, but no one's playing there. Like, there's was there 10 or 15 guys playing there of the team that won it? Like, that's not right. We, we should have players playing there. So making their model a bit more viable, I think, will, will strengthen our model if they're in it. If they're playing in, at, at home, if they can actually afford to have their best players playing at home, I think, it's, I think it really strengthens our competition. But I get the risks in the meantime and people's reservations about it because of the, mis- like the, the way the season now um, is shaped here. But I, I just feel like it's a worthwhile, worthwhile risk to take um, and if, if it strengthens their model particularly, uh, I think we gain as well if they're involved with, with, with our teams. So I, I, I'm excited about it, you know. I suppose my, my point about it is like in terms of like you're setting out, like we're talking about a few days out from the start of the new season. But if the South African teams get dropped in, is it the same season? Are you playing for the same competition? Like they're not going to play a full schedule. I just... I just think it's it's difficult, even from a player's point of view. Like, I mean, you know, I know we'll probably get on to Munster, like, but it's a huge season for someone like, you know, Johan van Graan to win a trophy. But, like, it, it's kind of a Mickey Mouse. It, it has a Mickey Mouse feel to it now because we're, we're not sure, you know, what the makeup of it's going to be post-Christmas. So I don't probably, know. Probably good for him, Keane. He gets, he gets another go. I can, I can hear his conversation with the board already. Do, do you get me? Do, do you know what I mean, though? Like, all jokes aside, no, no, like do, this, do, but, like, but that's a serious concern, like, because this is a huge, yeah. huge year for a team like Munster and their coaching staff. But you kind of do have a ready-made excuse there because, oh, look, this wasn't really a proper season. And 
I just think that that's going to be like it kind of devalues a competition before we even start, if you know what I mean, in terms of like the worth of winning it. Yeah, when you when you talk in a serious voice with that big beard, you just look so much more serious. I'm just like watching you on Zoom. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. I'll be I'll be more I'll be less serious. Wish, I wish our listeners could see how intimidating you are with that. Yeah, beard. Uh, <laughs> yeah. but one thing about this, obviously, so say we, the four teams come in, that's the guts of the South African rugby, you know, teams playing up here. Surely, then it's only a matter of time before South Africa, the country, playing the Six Nations, because you couldn't really have a situation where yeah. all their players are in the Northern Hemisphere playing either for. French and English clubs or in the Pro 14 and the Springboks are still playing in August and July in the Rugby Championship. That wouldn't work at all. So this is a, a possible gateway, Luke, to, to that happening, which again would be a, a huge change. It'd be great. I, I Look, I'd love to have them up here. I mean, I don't see... Yes, the way their seasons have... Um, the way the seasons are structured, historically speaking, and they've been like that for forever. I'm gonna is it is it nearly a hundred years or so, probably, or whatever these kind of competitions are, whatever this kind of the, the way the seasons are structured in both hemispheres. Uh, like I, I don't know. I just feel like at some point that like from the South African perspective, I think that competition is really difficult for them to win based on how difficult the travel is. That's a huge, huge portion of it, and it's a big reason why they're losing all their players. I think they'd be an unbelievable addition to to the Six Nations or Seven Nations if they're in. I'm not sure how they work it, but. Um, because I think not that that competition is stale. It just oh, it has a it has a viewership and as you know people going to and like spectators going to the games. It just never changes. It's so strong and it's very traditional. And I don't think that's going anywhere. But I feel like adding something to the mix there. I don't think that takes away from it. I feel like it strengthens that competition too. And South Africa, if they can keep all their players at home, if the funds are coming into the to the union there. Like they should be one of the biggest rugby playing nations in the world, and uh, as things stand, they have none of their guys playing there. They're all playing in Europe. So, why sh- I I feel like it'd be great to have them in both competitions. I feel like there's a period of pain to go to get them involved and to synchronize the seasons because that's look they've been just like that for for so so long. Um, but I feel like it's a worthwhile risk to take and to shake up the national game. Like we've been talking about, kind of you know you know, world competitions and things like that. This is kind of a step towards that. And I feel like if it works, it really, you know, it'll shake up those those foundations that we've been kind of, I suppose, using for such a long time. And I feel like that's a good thing for the game. I feel like we should be growing the game. Um, and we shouldn't be robbing all the talent based based on on, on the fact that all the money's up here. Uh, we shouldn't be doing that. Um, because I feel like then all the power kind of resides in, in one part of the world. And really how we grow our game is to make is to kind of spread that out a bit more um so that's just my own view on that uh, I, I i could be wrong i'm sure there's lots of people that'll disagree with me but i'd be i, I think i'd be really excited to have them in both competitions or starting all three competitions in, in in the league in the uh champions cup and in six nations i feel like they'd be great like south african people are so passionate about their rugby and they have so many great rugby players they should be playing in south africa the, I think like the Springboks coming to Six Nations would would be great. I know they kind of would go hand in hand, but logistically speaking, it's easier for you know the Springboks over a shorter tournament, a shorter period of time to to do that. And I suppose you'd be sort of hopeful that the the big franchises, the big franchises who we're talking about, do have a lot more support behind them than we'll say the Kings and the Cheetahs, because like I know we've made this point before, but anytime the Irish provinces were over there, it just looked so like terrible when it was yeah, just yeah, empty yeah. empty stadiums but just one final quick point like I think it's worth making that I know like we're not really concerned like a huge amount about what's going on in, in Wales at the moment in Welsh rugby but like 
if you're bringing in four quality teams, like it's the, the gap is going to get bigger between like the, the, some of the Welsh regions. Well, a lot of the Welsh regions have no interest in much interest in anyway in the Pro 14 as it is. You look at the Italian teams, like they're they're struggling. I know Treviso have made a few improvements, but the gap is going to get bigger between them as well. And while the top echelon might be good, the competitiveness of the league, as Pro 16, if that's what it is, could be an issue. Like you're still going to get your your pacings, which we see on a regular, you know, a regular basis. So that's probably something worth considering as well. I actually fell down a Twitter rabbit hole yesterday of, of reading Welsh opposition to the Pro 14 and they're longing for an Anglo-Welsh league. And it just took like 10 years off my life. Uh, so I, I just I, I just don't... I, they, they, the, the, their view of Welsh rugby comes from the national team. And like, I don't know if they think that that the English schools would like the Welsh teams involved in the league with them. I don't see what value that would bring personally. Well, but. there's absolutely no value out for, for from an English perspective yeah. there. The real problem for Wales is that they, they the way they structured their kind of well their new kind of provincial setup. I don't I'm, there's a there's a way of wording that, but they kind of went away from traditional bases and they like merged different clubs who are like old enemies, like different things like this. And basically, lots of people actually there's nearly bigger crowds that go to. Like the like our version of an AIL, there's bigger like crowds in Wales that go to their version of that, uh, than go to watch the Scarlets or go to watch the the Dragons. I think have a decent following. I think, but club obviously hasn't performed. It hasn't hasn't had the money. Uh, but you know, Scarlets are another example of that. Like lots of uh, sorry, and particularly obviously um, the uh, the Ospreys. Like the, the the way they merged those two clubs. I mean, the supporters hated each other by all accounts, and it's very hard to get a crowd going to the games, even when they had superstars like Phillips, Williams, Tommy Bow. They rarely got you know a, a full house there. So that's the bigger issue for Wales is how they actually can strengthen the game there, how, how they can attract all their players back home, and how they can make themselves competitive. Bringing the South African teams in there, I would say that that should attract those 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 guys back to those clubs and should bring more money to the games if they can get bigger crowds and more more spectators watching the games. But I don't know if it's beyond fixing over there. Um, my sense is that it might be. Well, yeah. well, rugby Twitter is a uh, is a scary place at times. So you're right, Will. I I I was on the end of their rat a few weeks ago for it was before the semi finals for suggesting that Munster and Leinster's semi final if it went to the head would be whatever on Friday night and. My God, the, the reaction from the Welsh crowd was very ugly. They thought there was a conspiracy that, you know, Connacht were going to roll over and let Munster win so that the Scarlets <laughs> couldn't be true. It was very weird. It it's very funny. Weird. That was actually my fault as well because I was the one who uploaded that article and I could, I, I could have easily <laughs> changed the headline as well. So I think it was a joint conspiracy on our behalf. But you were the one who took all the shit for it online, which you know, I, was, I was pleased with at least. Yeah. Uh, I got away scot-free. <laughs> But just to finish up, guys, I know we, we, we don't have too much time, and I suppose there's not too much time spent previewing a new season, given we've already seen these teams in action a good bit over the last few weeks. But, you know, obviously, Leinster coming off the defeat to Saracens, Munster trying to win that elusive trophy, Ulster, who had two tough defeats during the season, and Connacht, who only really got that one hit out with their top team and looked really good against Ulster as well. Like, so, Luke, out of those four, out of the four provinces, like, who are you intrigued to see, you know, this weekend in terms of how they might bounce back or go about their season as it kicks off officially? Yeah, Ulster to me. Um, I feel like, you know, Alisson's a big loss for them. That was a real setback to not get him back in the team. Um, but I'm, I'm keen to watch them to see if, you know, they continue to get better throughout the season. I feel like they've made a few good acquisitions and the, the squad is in a decent place. Um, despite, I suppose, a, 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 dis- a, well, a disappointing finish to the season. So I'm interested to watch them. 
I think, you know, look, I think Lancer are still going to be favourites for the league. I think they're still, you know, head and shoulders above everyone from, from what I can see off based off the end, well, I suppose the end of last season, but basically this season, really. Um, Connacht as well. I mean, can they make any strides forward? Andy Friend impressed me anytime I hear him speak, but, um, you know, I would like to see them get, you know, get back to that. Well, are they ever going to get back to that place where they're winning a league again? I think the hope was probably yes. They're looking to put a, get a bit of investment into the club, whether that happens or not. Um, you know, remains to be seen now with all the COVID implications, but they are trying to invest back in the club there and grow that franchise. Um, and Munster, I'm, I'm a bit good at that. It, it sounds like Joey Carberry's return, it looks like it's going to be slow. And Snyman is obviously a disaster for them. He, I, think, I feel like he could have been a solution to lots of the problems there. Can they bring any of the young guys through? Your Witcherlies, these guys who look good at different points. Um, but haven't seemed to kind of kick on. I, I, I really like the look of him at a point, and he looks like he's a big specimen. Do any of those kind of guys come through? Does, you know, Salanoa, the, the, the young Leinster guy down there, does he make an impact? Um, yeah, so I'm kind of watching those things. There's, 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 lots to, there's lots of intriguing little subplots going on there and lots of things that I think people, you know, supporters would be keen to see that, that both of those teams, particularly Ulster and Munster, make strides and build on, I think, probably being in a decent place and making a few good strides in terms of who they've brought into this, into the teams. Um, so, yeah, look, you're, you're interested in everyone at this point, Will, to see if, you know, because, like, really, the end of the season, we didn't really see enough rugby for teams to really impose a new game plan or new strategies or be expansive because they were probably still getting used to each other from a six-month layoff. So I'm looking forward to seeing, a, you know, a consecutive run of games and seeing who actually has made progress because I think they'll be harder, it'll be easier to, to see who's done that um, in the early portion of the season. Yeah, it's interesting. It's as you, you touched on the Munster young players there, because even yesterday, Johan van Grand name checked a couple of them, like John Hodden at a back row, who uh, was on that under-20 team that won the Grand Slam two years ago. He, he's really impressive with the ball in hand. He has that kind of pace, a bit of a brisk pace like Sean Crown and Thomas O'Hearn as well as someone who's been really impressive when I've seen him, and hopefully he'll get a run at some stage. Keen, I'll give you the last word uh, on this before we wind up. You know, what are you looking forward to seeing of the, of, from the province over the next two weekends? Well, I thought it was interesting that Van Grank came out, you know, and said this, you know, they were going to start playing these players, but talk is cheap. Like, we've got to see these guys. And I think there's a real hunger amongst Munster fans to see them now. There's genuine excitement about the crop of players that are coming through, but it's all well and good hearing about them and seeing them in Celt the Celtic Cup or whatever. But, like, now is the time to see them. And, it, I know I know it's a tricky balance and I'm not for a second saying that the whole, you know, let's put 15 young guys into the team. And I just hope that we'll see more of them by choice and not when Munster's hand is forced. Like, for example, it looks like Craig Casey is going to play this weekend, but that's because Conor Murray is injured. I just hope that, like, we've spoken a bit about it before, like Leinster do it very well. They, they drip feed their young guys in, you know, they surround them by the experienced guys, whether it's, you know, Johnny Sexton on, on occasion or if it's your Scott Fardy you know it would be nice to see Munster kind of adopt um, a sort of similar mentality you know Van Grant said like Thomas O'Hearn is still a bit away like he he knows better than than anyone but like it's sort of disappointing to see like Munster yeah I saw that comment like yeah I, I agree because like you know I feel like yeah is he a bit away uh, like not to my mind no but I'm not a professional coach paid like thousands of euro you know a year to make those decisions but and I think Munster fans would agree like he's looked absolutely brilliant in the in the under 20s and I know it's a huge setup step up but like I mentioned earlier it's a huge season for Munster so I'm kind of curious to see like how they're going to go about it they're 
they're still saying that their attack game is, you know, moving on and they've done great work over the last few weeks. But again, like we didn't see any of it in when it mattered most. So I think there's a lot of there are a lot of question marks. They've obviously been massively hampered by Carberry and Snyman. Any team that loses two of those guys, it would be would be seriously impacted. Do you think I think they can win something, Kane. Do you think they've got the personnel to do it? Um, they might win the 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 Pro Twelve before the before Christmas <laughs> before the South African teams come in. No, I don't know. I'm not like I'm not convinced to be honest. P- purely because when it came to it this year and they put themselves in the position, they didn't really fire a shot. So. I don't think there's a huge amount of evidence to suggest that they have moved forward in the last couple of seasons. And that to me is a concern. Um, they've, they've signed the players, they've been a bit unlucky, but I don't see, I don't see a, a, an identity to this Munster team. I think if you, were to, if you were to tell someone who had never seen Munster play before, like, what's their style? Like, how do they play? I just, I, you could say that about an Exeter. You could say that about a Leinster. You could say, you know what I mean? Yeah, I get I all the good, all the good teams. Like you can, you can tell, you can tell, you know, explain their game plan. I find it very hard to describe how this Munster team play. And I know some people go, well, like they they want to box kick it in the air all day. And I don't think that's very fair either. Like they do have more strings to their bow, but they've spent a lot of money. They've spent a lot of like time in the like, Larkham and Roundtree coming like Larkham coming halfway across the world and like you're talking about a guy who's you know super rugby brain it's really time to start seeing a bit more of this and you know the Scarlets away first up is a is a tricky test but like it sounds like they're going to send a pretty strong team over there but just like to see some signs of improvement and you know what I think like it's been so long since Munster have won a trophy and I think there's an element of fans just want to see the young guys come through now that you know that there's a sort of a process in place because playing the same guys over and over again has not been working for the last couple of years so I think there's a real desire and want to see progress on the pitch but also seeing new faces come in and start pushing these guys because there's no use having like one of the best crops they've had in certainly a long time if you're not going to use them Um, and that's that's what I'd love to see for a monster like just I agree. Like I was chatting to Andy Friend yesterday, and I like I, I kind of feel sorry for them. Like they, they don't seem like they had the funds to go out and make the signings that they probably needed. Um, I think they'll probably find it tough to compete on two fronts. We saw last year what happened in our last season when they suffered a lot of injuries. You know, their squad depth get really tested. But if they can keep everyone fit and dreads play them, I think they're a match for anyone. Um, I think Ulster are building really nicely. I'm like really impressed with the job that Dan McFarland is doing. Um, I think they'll be all the better for you know the experience. I know they they didn't really fire a shot against uh, Toulouse, and the, the final against Leinster was disappointing. But they're back where they belong. You know, they're they're back where they feel they belong anyway, and competing for trophies. So, and I agree, like Leinster are going to be tough to beat again. Um, looking forward to seeing like how some of their young guys push on, you know, the likes of maybe Tommy O'Brien and Ryan Baird, even like someone like Dan Sheehan, who I know is injured at the moment. It's like, sounds like a really promising hooker who's coming through. So it's probably the same as you ever were with Leinster, you know, the machine keeps rolling and you're kind of, you're looking forward to seeing the younger guys. And I'm sure they'll have like, they'll obviously have taken the Saracens defeat to heart. And I'd expect maybe a few tweaks to their game plan as well, which is, which is exciting when you consider how well they were playing for most of last season. 
Yeah, and I'd add Andrew Smith to that list of players to watch. He was a winger on the under-20s team this year whose Six Nations campaign got curtailed, but he's someone who's looked really promising as well, and he's in the Leinster Academy. Yeah, the, the finish is... Uh, was it for a Leinster underage team a couple of years ago? It was Leinster A. It was Leinster A last year, yeah, in the corner. The flying yeah. finish into the corner, Sensational. Yeah. And anyone who hasn't seen that, look that up on YouTube. It's absolutely sensational. Yeah, it's funny. Even though, like, it's only been a week since kind of the Irish team seasons were brought to a close, it does feel like we're resetting now, uh, heading into a new, new season. Season. So, Keen, Luke, thanks so much for joining me. Cheers, lads. Cheers, guys. See you next week. And that's all we have time for this week on The Left Wing. Thank you so much for listening. We will be back next week with another podcast reviewing all the action. In the meantime, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or listen on independent.ie. So, until next week, thanks for listening and goodbye.